Hi everyone, this is Marsha, and I'm the director and founder of the Brooklyn Caribbean Literary Festival. I'm thrilled and elated to announce the birth and launch of our brand new podcast, CocoPod. Consider the aromatic CocoPod and how, after carefully ripening under the Caribbean sun, it generously offers up its rich fruit in due season. CocoPod by BCLF aims to provide a similar delight. Each episode is a seed, a nugget of an original Caribbean story told in the voice of its writer. Each story, an infinite gift by the offshoot of an ancient griot tradition. As a whole, Caribbean stories are like a mighty tree whose branches extend, offering shade and comfort wherever her children settle. From my team and the legion of Caribbean writers behind us, we bring to you the warmest of welcomes. This is Barbara Jenkins. I shall be reading from my memoir, The Stranger Who Was Myself, published by People Tree Press, September 2022. All three of us Lafon girls went to Tranquility Girls Intermediate Government School. When it was just Annette and me there, we boarded out for lunch at Mrs. Blanche on Tragarite Road. There we met up with other children under a shed in her backyard, where we sat on long benches at a table. Mrs. Blanche gave each of us a spoon and a plate of rice, beans and chopped stewed meat, either as separate items or as a cook-up. Or we got a bowl of sandcoach, thick yellow split pea soup with floating islands of dumplings and ground provision. An older man, respectably dressed in long sleeve shirt and tie, an office worker from the nearby government printery, ate by himself, just inside the house proper, sitting at Mrs. Blanche's closed sewing machine on which she'd spread a small broadery anglaise tablecloth. He ate his lunch with knife and fork, tools none of us rough children knew how to use. These superior dining implements scraped against the plate as he cut his food. We children would start up chanting, Ka-chow! 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 imitating the sound of cutlery against the plate as he chopped up his meat and the cucumber, lettuce and tomato salad. When we saw him pause to turn his head and glare at us, we stopped our chanting and all he could see was half a dozen or so schoolchildren paying close and silent attention to their food. But the minute he turned his back and continued eating, the chant would start up again. This must have upset him, and he may have threatened Mrs. Blanche that he would leave, because she warned us that she would tell our mothers about our behaviour. I don't think she did. How could she? Neither she nor we had a phone, and she would have had to send a message to Mommy through one of us miscreants, which she never did. Mommy never mentioned it and Mrs. Blanche continued to accept the dollar a week per child that Mommy sent. 
but her threat was enough. We stopped our nonsense. After lunch at Mrs. Blanche's, I sent Annette back to school by herself. With her back at school, I would stand on the pavement on Tragery Road under someone's slatted jealousy window to listen to Second Spring, a radio serial. The introduction ran like this. Can a woman who has once loved completely ever find a true love again? Can she find a second spring? Then there was a short burst of anxious violin music followed by the voices of the actors in the drama. I stood glued to the spot until the 15-minute episode was over. Then I went back to school. When Carol was old enough to join us at Tranquille, Mommy bought an enamel three-container stacking food carrier in which she packed lunch that she'd woken at four in the morning to prepare for us to take to school. As the eldest, I was in charge of taking the carrier, making sure the two little ones ate and bring it back home in the evening. Because of this change in our lunch routine, I never found out whether a woman who has once loved completely ever found her second spring. When I moved on to the convent school, the food carrier was abandoned and forgotten. Long, long years after, while backpacking through India in my mid-fifties, I came across such food carriers, dozens of them, at a roadside metal goods shop. I bought one. The vendor weighed the stainless steel one I chose. I fished out the requisite rupees from my waste wallet, squished the contents of the rucksack to accommodate the bulky, uncrushable purchase, hoisted it on my back and logged it for a month across the continent, bringing it home in triumph. One of these good days, forgetting current vegetarian lifestyle, I'll put rice in one, red beans in another, and stew beef in the third, lay a tablecloth, unstack the carrier, serve myself, and relive a period of my life about which I thought nothing at the time, but which is now loaded with an accretion of heartaches and pains of regret that are in need of gentle soothing. Except for the journey to and from school and for lunch, I hardly saw Annette. Carol, six years younger, was different. Some years ago, I was at a greengrocer's in Cascade and in came a woman whom I'd been to primary school with. We hadn't seen each other for long years. We had one of those long time no see, so what you're getting up to type of exchanges. And then she said, you know what I remember best about you? I said, I've no idea. She said, your sister Carol, she used to come to find you every recess time. I didn't realize until then that a huge chunk of my childhood was defined by others through my relationship with my sister Carol. 
but it was true. I was in the exhibition class when Carol entered kindergarten. The pupils of the exhibition class were often still in the classroom during recess, finishing off some serious work. And there would be my sister Carol, standing at the bottom of the steps, wailing in a most plaintive little voice, Barbara, I want my tea. I would pretend I hadn't heard, too engrossed in working out a square root or parsing a sentence. That only served to heighten her distress and cause her to call out more loudly, Barbara, Barbara, give me my tea. Everyone in class was sniggering by then. Heads were buried in their copybooks to hide the laughter. I squirmed in shame, sliding down the bench until my head was below the level of the desk. Mrs Thornhill called out, Barbara, go and see about your sister. I got up from my desk and went to the bench where all the book bags were kept pulled out a thermos flask from my bag and walked down the classroom step with it. I could hear Mrs Thornhill saying to the class, hurry up and finish that exercise or you'll get no recess at all. And the giggling behind me subsided. Carol was such a skinny child that people would say a breeze could blow her away. But I, coming down the steps to her thin, forlorn little self wanted only to strangle her, the cause of my humiliation. Our mother had combed her hair that morning in two long, neat plaits that ended in two crisp white bows. The taffeta ribbons were braided into the hair so that they would not fall out and be lost but the crying and distress had somehow made one of the plaits come undone. The bow was intact, but the braiding had come loose, and the bow was hanging on by a few long strands of hair. I sat on the bottom step, and she sat beside me, her little hands curled in her lap, waiting for me to do what I must. I unscrewed the outer cap of the thermos, and the inner stopper, and poured the milky cocoa into the outer cup, which served as a cup. While she held the cup in both her little hands and sipped the hot drink, I tugged out the dangling bow harder than I needed to, undid the ribbon and smoothed it, plaited her hair, braiding in the ribbon. By the time the bow was done, she had drunk the cocoa, and was holding out the cup for more. Her face was streaked with tears, the corners of her mouth stained with cocoa. I should have felt some kindness, some fellow feeling towards this needy little sister, but all I could feel was rage for the shame she had brought me in front of others who had no little sisters calling for them. I told her she had enough, that she would get more at lunchtime, and she was to go back to her classroom. I screwed back on both caps as she walked away, looking down at her feet, 
and dragging her shoes in the playground dust. I walked back into the classroom, still angry with her and upset with myself for being angry with her. I didn't care who was casting sly glances at me or whether I had completed the schoolwork exercise. I sat at my desk, put my arms and my head on the desk and sobbed and sobbed. My sister Carol died on Carnival Monday last year in Orlando, Florida, where she'd lived for more than half her life. It grieves me that I didn't tell her how sorry I am that I wasn't kinder to her as a little child those long decades ago at recess time in Tranquil. I can only hope that she didn't remember, or if she did, she didn't dwell on it, for we were loving, mutually supporting friends as adults. Not that I think it has given me the absolution I still need. Maybe then, March 4th, the anniversary of her death, is the date for that food carrier christening. I could even make cocoa tea and fill a thermos. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a moment to follow CocoaPod and turn on your notifications so that you don't miss new stories when they drop. One last thing. Caribbean Stories and Caribbean writers need our help. Show your support by sharing and downloading this podcast as far and as widely as you can. Buy their books, support independent bookshops, and request Caribbean titles from your local libraries. Remember that a rising tide lifts all ships. Give thanks. For more Caribbean storytelling goodness, Follow Coco Pod and BCLF Always Lit on all major podcast platforms. <laughs>